Greetings, and welcome to WLRN's special edition dedicated to the 8th Annual Midwest Women's Herbal Conference to be held in Almond, Wisconsin, May 31st through June 2nd, 2019, and to the third annual Mycelium Mysteries Gathering happening September 27th through the 29th, also in Almond, Wisconsin. This is Thistle Pedersen, inviting you to sit back and enjoy this special edition WLRN has put together about these two amazing spring and fall women's events in Wisconsin. Underneath my voice, and to start off today's program, is First Aid Kit with their song, Wolf. In this special edition, you will hear interviews with Linda Conroy, founder of Midwest Women's Herbal, and these two yearly gatherings. You will also hear from Barbara Bitondo, a longtime student of Linda Conroy's, who is an urban herbalist and will be presenting at the Herbal Conference. Dr. Cornelia Cho, a pediatrician with a focus on mushrooms and who studies mind-body-brain science, drug-free trauma healing methods, and reclaiming traditional ways of eating. In other words, decolonizing food as a road to healing. WLRN's Robin Long caught up with Dr. Cho via Skype last month. We will be presenting excerpts of that interview later on in the program. We also got the chance to speak with Catherine McLean, a research scientist, teacher, and meditator. In her academic research, Catherine studied how psychedelics and mindfulness meditation can promote beneficial long-lasting changes in personality, well-being, and brain function. Catherine will be a keynote speaker at the Mycelium Mysteries Women's Fall Retreat. She was interviewed by yours truly for this special edition. In addition, WLRN's Sekhmet Shiaul's commentary on the importance of women gathering to study and commune with the world of plants and each other is included in this podcast. This year's gatherings are full to the brim with workshops and activities that bring women together in community and celebration of women's culture and nature. Tickets are going fast with only a few left for the Herbal Conference, so we encourage women to register quickly. If it fills up before you're able to register, you can still attend the Friday morning pre-conference workshops on Friday morning, May 31st, to get a taste of the conference. Venus Williams, Mimi Hernandez, Susan Weed, Bevan Clare, Jacqueline Weber, and Mary Lou Singleton will all be presenters at the pre-conference workshops from 9 to noon on Friday, May 31st. Also, we'd like you to know that there is an early registration rate available until April 1st for the Fall Mushroom event, so go to that registration page now. You can register and find out about all of the conference presenters, events, and happenings at MidwestWomensHerbal.com. Thanks for tuning in to this WLRN special edition, focusing on these two fabulous women's gatherings happening in Almond, Wisconsin, this spring and fall. Our first interview for this special program features WLRN's Robin Long, who talked with Barbara Batondo. We're here talking with Barbara Batondo, uh, a longtime student of Linda Conroy. Um, she's an urban herbalist and simpler whose focus is on topical herbal applications for health, beauty, and vitality. She offers pop-up herbal spas that are plant-centered and essential oil-free. 
Barbara Twins' Wild Wise Woman Ways with Second Life and Zero Waste Practices, making each step in her walk in beauty both a ceremony and a revolutionary act. Welcome to WLRN. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, this conference sounds so exciting. Tell us a little bit about the workshops that you're going to be doing. Well, um, my focus has um, almost from the beginning been um, a topical focus. I have always been really fascinated by the longtime use of herbs for many, many millennia for topical purposes, whether it's relieving an itch or healing a wound or just enjoying a rose water you know, spritz on your face. Women have been using the plants this way for health, vitality, rejuvenation, and not to mention, you know, cosmetic use, but just for just physical support and improvement. And that was, you know, one of my first experiences with the herbs was, you know, in the woods getting exposure to a plant that was irritating my skin and very quickly was handed a plant and said, this will help you. That sounds like the old nettles and jewelweed connection. Something like that. It was something (laughs) along those lines. I was still new in herbalism. So at the time, I didn't know what had aggravated my skin or exactly what I was. I mean, I think it was plantain. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, so that's how I got started. And my process has evolved. I've been studying the plants studying them, studying with them, learning from them for about 10 years now. Um, And I focus on one plant a year, which is something that I was inspired to do from, I believe, the writings of Susan Weed, who's another uh, grandmother in the tradition. Mm -hmm. And in the process of studying one plant a year and all of the different ways that I can think of to incorporate that plant into my topical applications is what I do. Oh, that's great. And so as a result, I have spent time with goldenrod and made all kinds of bath products with goldenrod and used it for support during the winter to help with reactions to, you know, airborne allergens in the summer, Mm -hmm. um, for example. So um, that's one way. Another way, of course, is, you know, using flowers and herbs for face masks and body massage oil and that kind of thing. So it really does span the gamut. Mm -hmm. So back to your question about my two workshops. I've also been interested in making cosmetics for myself. I work in corporate in in a financial institution, and we all know that you have to look a certain way and in order to advance, there's all kinds of data suggesting that, you know, makeup actually does have an impact on your advancement and being perceived in a way that people are willing to perceive you. I mean, this is brand new data from Harvard, for example, so I'm not just making it up. And so in that process, I've also used herbs for my own cosmetics. And um, so I make mascara and eyeliner from clay And I get a lot of questions about this. And so I've been very enthusiastic about finding a place where we can have these conversations, conversations about decorating your body in a way that is, you know, healthy and also brings delight. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And it must be good to have some control over what goes into the stuff that goes on your skin. Doesn't the beauty industry add all kinds of toxic compounds to makeup products? Well, I'm not a scientist, and I um, don't know what cosmetic companies are putting in their products because I haven't used a commercial product for so many years. Um, I do know that there are a lot of fragrances that go into products, and I find that not to be necessary. Yeah. Um, I am interested in ways to control what I'm using and where I'm acquiring it. I'm much more interested in what the provenance of my products is than anything else. So I really do like to be the person harvesting the plants or digging up the earth or um, visiting the farm where I got my olive oil and knowing the woman who I'm trading, you know, calendula flowers with for Rosa Ragosa or whatever it is I'm doing. So mm-hmm. for me, it's less about avoiding toxins and more about creating my products for myself and feeling mm-hmm. like I am not responding to an industry or beholden to another corporation for my joy and delight and my personal decoration. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if, if you understand the difference, but for me, it's much more about my connection with my body and my connection with the planet and how I decorate my body for mm-hmm. the lifestyle that I lead is not like, you know, screw L'Oreal, for example. It's like <laughs> empower Barbara right? It's like that for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is part of, and this is, and I'm very passionate about this. I think that you can go to a spa and I enjoy spas a lot, but I think that when you can create your own products and put into them your own energy and your own joy and delight and exhilaration, then you can greet yourself with elation. And that is what it's about. That's a really beautiful way of looking at it. Is this why you think herbal medicine is especially attractive to women? Just this ability to be an active participant in your own healing and your own joy? or I think that there are as many roads to herbalism as there are women walking. And so I don't know, you know what attracts a lot of women, but I think that uh, one aspect of herbalism that is pretty accessible are cosmetic products like herbal Mm -hmm. lotions, herbal lip balms, um, herbal infusions are another one. Uh, Most people's, if you say name an herb, they often can come up with mint or chamomile. These are two herbs that are readily available at almost any Starbucks or any Dunkin' Donuts anywhere. You can get those two herbs. They come in a tea bag usually. So Mm -hmm. Um, People are familiar with uh, some topical applications already. Like, um, you know, it's pretty common to use tea bags to reduce, you know, puffy eyes, for example. Or um, people are familiar with lavender um, essential oil because that's an inexpensive one, for example. Um, So, yes, people and women in particular, I think, are drawn to the... uh, olorous aspects of it you know they can smell it and it's like oh lavender smells good rosemary chamomile these are scents that i'm familiar with they have a a connection to my past i i know this from a long time especially if they're northern hemisphere like um, i grew up in 
Africa. And so a lot of these herbs and spices are not the ones that I grew up with, but my mother cooked with them. So my relationship to rosemary is like through McCormick and the little <laughs> bottles because it was not growing in Kinshasa when I was there. Um, and she certainly was not harvesting, a, you know, anything else in that family because she was busy in her own way doing something else. But yeah, I think that women are interested, especially with so many um, news articles coming out about, um, you know, the chemicals and there's much more information about what is goes into the process of making a lot of the things that we're being told we need. I mean, everything from sunscreen to, you know, bath bombs are full of who knows what, right? When you buy mm -hmm. them off the shelf. And I think that more and more people care about that. Women care about what is in their household. Mm -hmm. Speaking of that, you, you mentioned in your introduction that you use a plant-centered practice, but you also are essential oil-free. Is there a reason for that? Yes. So, um, I mean, whenever I get something with a label on it, whether it's a bag of rice, you know, from the grocery store or a bag of nettles that somebody harvested for me, whenever there's a label on it, that means that I don't necessarily know what's in there. If it's somebody else's product, I don't know what's in there. Mm -hmm. And it also is one step away from the plant. So that's the first aspect. The second aspect is that essential oils are, it's, a, it's an extraction. And I prefer to have direct connection with the plants that I'm working with. I prefer to be able to see them and identify them and know who they are before I put them into a product for myself, whether it's a bath or an oil or, you know, even a topical, you know, a use of a tincture topically. Essential oils generally come in bottles, unless you're distilling them yourself in, you know, some kind of copper still at home, you're getting them in a bottle, they're coming from some faraway place. And it's just impossible to know, unless you've done it yourself, what is in there. It's not moderated. Mm -hmm. That's number one. So this is like my basic one. The second one is essential oils take an enormous amount of plant material. In order to, I mean, you've heard all of this before, it takes, you know, uh, football stadiums full of roses to get a drop of essential oil or whatever it is, right? This is monoculture. In order to produce the quantities of essential oils that are in whole foods markets and, you know, herbal fairs around the world, you're promoting a monoculture, which mm -hmm. has all kinds of effects on the rest of the ecosystem not to mention chemicals that are needed to ensure, you know, that only roses are growing in your, you know, football stadium full of roses that you're mm -hmm. using to create rose absolute or something like this. So this is the second one is the monoculture piece of it. The third piece of it for me is it's such a high concentration of one aspect of the plant. So now I live in a place in Rhode Island where we have a lot of Rosa Rogosa, which is a rose that grows on the coast. Mm -hmm. And they make a very strong fragrance, very strong. And when you enjoy the smell of the rose, whether it's a strong scent or not, you're getting the amount that the flower has to offer, right? 
And mm -hmm. when you condense that and eliminate all other aspects except the one scent, you are giving your body a lot more than I think the plant had designed for you to have. And so mm -hmm. the plant person relationship gets distorted. It's sort of like if you see me on a huge, huge LED screen on the side of a building, right? If, if it's like 30,000 televisions that are, you know, lining up a huge skyscraper in New York and I'm delivering my message to you that way versus having me across the table from you talking in, you know, my inside voice about whatever is on my mind. I mean, that's the way I see it. So I don't sure, want to yeah. experience the plants in this you know, magnified way. I don't want to do that. That's not the relationship I'm trying to cultivate. Well, it seems that your senses get so overwhelmed by that, that after a few moments, you can't smell it anymore anyway. So yeah. Are, are these products very difficult to make? I, I've always kind of suspected that if you can follow a recipe to make a meal, you can make your own cosmetics. Is this true? Um, it is true. It so um, there are techniques and you do get better at it over time. Making lotion, for example, requires mixing oil and water and it requires some, you know, blender and you should have a scale and you need to have some thermometers to make sure that your oils and waters are at the same temperature. That will make it easier to, to blend them. So you, you get better at it. You've got to learn how to understand that different oils work in different ways and have different melting points. So it takes a, it takes a little bit of acquired skill mm -hmm. and some knowledge of the qualities of the different components of what you're making. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, I don't find it to be requiring any kind of advanced degree in chemistry, but I do a lot of research and read other people's uh, work and I do read a lot of scientific journals, especially research that's being done on plants. And I adopt a lot of formulations from other people, even if they use essential oils and I don't, I can still benefit from their um, formulations, and I do. Absolutely. I mean, there's generations of women who have been studying this, and there's so much science involved, but it's still not out of reach for people if they want to come to the conference to learn a bit more about it. Oh, absolutely. The conference, I mean, one of the things that's so incredible about this conference is that, it, first of all, it's curated. There's a team of women who are thinking about the people, the women who are coming to the conference and what they may or may not already know, what their needs might be at the different stages of life, new information that is coming out in the media and, you know, hot topics, as well as long-term information that is being made available as well. So with this in mind, the team very carefully goes through and says, okay, what topics would make for a strong uh, series for new herbalists? Okay. What topics would make for a strong series of sessions for somebody interested in the pharmacological side? What about women who are using herbs on animals, you know, on their farms and so on? So, you know, when I say curated, it's not just curated the speakers, but also the topics and the order in which they're being presented. So sequence 
and structure and content are all being thought through to meet the needs of the beginner, the intermediate and the advanced herbalist, the maiden, mother and prone, and, um, and everyone in between. Oh, it sounds wonderful. So this is an event that would really appeal to women who are at any stage in their learning about um, the amazing healing power of herbs. Yes, anybody who's interested in plants, the plant-person relationship, wise women tradition, the long-time history of the relationship with women and mushrooms, which is goes way back is what you would you know, be interested in. I mean, there's a little bit of mushroom information at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference in June. There's a lot of it in the fall, but the fall session also offers an herbal component. So, you know, it they, they definitely overlap mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Oh, God, it's fascinating. Barbara, thank you so much for joining us with Women's Liberation Radio News today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me to speak with you. This will be Excluding all the expensive ones. There's mass confusion in the forest. I heard about it on the radio. So they're bringing in some guy and he's gonna go on and on about all the things that he don't know. And there's some girl in the background, she's screaming something about missing trees, and I'm wondering, where did they go? No lines on the highway, no passing they say, no green to my left and no green to my right, and the man behind the axe always gets a fault meal, cause never puts up much of a fight So here's some helpful hints Some breath assured pins Full of beautiful grace And we steal that space And death comes quickly So I pull up to my double car garage hideaway And I start to say Where did all the trees go? Tegan and Sarah singing Our Trees. Next up, hear an interview Thistle did in Staunton, Wisconsin with Linda Conroy, founder and main organizer and producer of the conference and the retreat. Thistle visited with Linda in her home and captured her conversation with this brilliant woman to share with you here now. All right, so I'm here with Linda Conroy. She is a founding member of the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference Collective. They've been around for eight years 
and we're going to be talking about the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference itself in June, but then also the Mycelium Mysteries Conference that's happening the end of September. So, Linda, um, I'm at your house in Stoughton, Wisconsin, and there's so many amazing herbs and uh, jars of things around. Could you talk a little bit about this cupboard over here before we get started and, and what's what's in it? Sure. Um, well, one thing, let me talk about the cupboard. So my name is Linda Conroy. I'm an herbalist. I've been an herbalist for over 20 years. And that cupboard is something that reminds me of a student of mine. So women come into my programs, I run women's herbal apprenticeship programs, and they leave things behind and they trade things and they share things. So that cupboard, a woman traded for her apprenticeship a few years back. So she's here and I have bowls that remind me of women who've been here. There's traces of these women everywhere I look. And then in the cabinet are a lot of herbal remedies. I grow and wild harvest the vast majority of my own remedies. I harvest a lot of my own wild food. Um, we had dinner and we had maple beans. I utilized local maple sap and cooked beans down in it. So a lot of my jars and my bags and <laughs> things like that are all things that I'm foraging and harvesting um, and or growing um, in my yard or in my area. And one of the things is, you know, we're here to talk about the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. And that conference is born out of these traditions. These are women's traditions. Um, women have always lived like this. Women in other parts of the world live like this every day and day in and day out. I think in the Western world, we've become less connected to foraging our own medicines and foods. There is a resurgence and in interest in it. And I think it's a very primal interest. It's something that we know in our bones and that we're looking at. Um, to recreate. So these jars that you see in the cabinet, it's a large armoire for those of you who can't see it. And there are, gosh, easily from the top to the bottom, at least a hundred jars in that cabinet. And then I have a couple shelves in my um, office room where there's, um, you know, more jars. And I make oils and tinctures and vinegars and all of these things are nourishing and healing. And one of the biggest things for me is that I have a relationship with all the plants that are in those jars. It's not something I've purchased. It's not something I've gone out and bought. These are plants that I've actually gone out and spent time with, sat with, connected with, looked at very closely um, and have a relationship with. And I think that that's something that's missing in herbal medicine when it becomes a more Western um, conventional strategy for healing. It's not really healing, you know, we're utilizing a lot of times herbs as green pills and we're missing a big part of the medicine, which is, the, is that relationship of actually interfacing with the plants and getting to know them deeply. And they really, they want that from us. That's how our indigenous ancestors, because all of us have indigenous ancestors, that's how our indigenous ancestors brought food and medicine into their homes. And that's how the World Health Organization says that 85% of the people around the world still have herbal medicine as their primary health care, which is very different in you know our Western world. 
Mm-hmm. How inspiring and, and beautiful to be surrounded by all of these plants in process in these jars, these oils and tinctures, and the dinner that you prepared tonight was so amazing. The beans in uh, maple sap and then duck eggs. And what else did we have? We had the... We had homemade carrot crap that had uh, wild food in it because it had seaweed and juniper berries. Um, And so that was part of our meal as well. And then you had holy basil tea, which I grew right here in my yard. Mm -hmm. Um, So every day, every meal, I'm eating that way. And I feel really... um, a lot of gratitude and you know Thistle as a woman in her 50s I've had some trials and tribulations like many of us do um, you know and every day I'm grateful for the plants I'm grateful that every spring the dandelion uh, blooms and shows up even when people don't show up the plants show up they show up over and over mm-hmm. and over again and I'm just forever grateful for them with every meal yeah so clearly Plants and herbs are an inspiration for the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference, and mushrooms and fungi are an inspiration for the Mycelium Mysteries gathering. But what else uh, has inspired those two gatherings? Well, they're women's gatherings, so we're inviting women to come together and be in community and remember. We're remembering. We're remembering something we know. Um, You know, I love Clarissa Pinkoli's Estes, who wrote um, Women Who Run With the Wolves. I think most of us are familiar with her work. Um, Less familiar, maybe, though, with an audio um, manuscript that she put out a number of years ago called The Dangerous Old Woman. And in that, she talks about how she is speaking to the 100 million year old woman that lives in each of us. And we have this ancient, ancient knowing that lives inside of us. And the plants are one way to access that knowing, that wisdom. You know, we all have gut feelings. We all have intuition. And that is something that is passed on from our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers. And it's ancient. And the plants are ancient. And that's where that healing merges that is missing when we just take herbs and put them in a pill and take them as if they're a drug. Because they're not drugs. They work in synergy. They're very different. And the only way to access that piece is to sit in a relationship with each other because we help each other remember. Um, And then the plants also help us remember. So what can a woman expect if she goes to the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference and she's never been before and she doesn't really know that much about herbal mysteries? Mm -hmm. Well, it's really interesting because all we need to do is start with one plant. And we all know something. And I do a lot of teaching. I run workshops and apprenticeship programs. And I tell people this all the time. You already know something about a plant. And I teach a lot about botany and really being able to identify plants and know what plants you're interfacing with. And I say to women, so what do you know about a mint plant? And most women can tell me a mint has a square stem. And then if they can't tell me that, they can usually tell me that it's aromatic. So right there, you already know something. There is not a woman that comes to the conference that doesn't already know something about plants. And so no one is coming in cold. 
if you will. <laughs> so, um, and so we trust that. We, I think we all trust that. And we trust we start where we are. We all start where we are. And we build from there. If you get to know one plant at the conference, if you get to know two. Um, and it's not only about plants. We have workshops for all kinds of insights. There's African dancing workshops. So if you want to move your body, there's yoga, there's sound meditation workshops. So we're tapping into a lot of aspects of who we are. It is an herbal conference. The plants are front and center. Last year was really fun because Artemisia or mugwort or sometimes called chromewort was our plant ally. We always choose a plant ally for the conference and every woman touched that plant that weekend. It was amazing and if they got to know no other plant they got to know that plant for sure. Mm -hmm. What kinds of workshops are going to be offered? What what does the program look like this year? The program is super exciting. Um, we have everything. So, you know, you talk about people coming in as a new person. So we always have a workshop called Welcome to Herbalism. And we named it that. Instead of calling it Herbalism 101 and making it academic, we called it Welcome to Herbalism because we want to welcome women. So that workshop is great for women who are coming in and you know they feel like they don't you know they don't know if they know much and they can get welcomed although i have to say i have seen women who are um veterans at the conference come to the welcome to herbalism conference i think we want to be welcomed in over and over and over again you know we want to feel that we want to feel welcomed so that piece then there are workshops for more advanced herbalists uh, on clinical herbalism how to start your practice what are the legal aspects of herbalism um, there's a workshop i love the title um, and it's um, called how to make a salve and stay out of jail because there, you know, as herbalism and natural health is one of the fastest growing industries in the world, we see a lot more restrictions around producing product and putting your um, remedies out there in, in a commercial way. So we have an attorney who teaches that class. So people who want to do that, you know, are able to do that. Then there's a writing workshop that I'm super excited about. And actually, my very first herb teacher from over 20 years ago is coming from Seattle to teach a writing workshop. She's a writer, and she is going to teach about writing about your health. And so writing into your health, like just really deepening your relationship to your own body, your own health, your own well-being. And so there's opportunities for writing. There's singing workshops. There's opportunities to use your voice through song. Um, there's so many opportunities for women to um, touch in and explore things. I mean, I'm just highlighting a few workshops because over the weekend, I believe there are 65 workshops to choose from. Mm -hmm. And women can free choice in the moment because sometimes you go to a couple really heady workshops and then you're like, I just need to sing or dance or even go take a nap <laughs> so, because, you know, you're so full mm -hmm. um, and it's just very rich. Can you talk about the keynote speakers and putting the spotlight on women of color and what the conference has done through the years to encourage women of color to participate and come? So let me just talk a little bit about the organization because I started the conference eight years ago 
mostly myself and a couple other people and we've grown into being more of a collective you called us a collective and we are growing into that we're learning to work together and one of the things we've done over the years in learning to work together is also reaching out to other communities and saying we want women from all walks of life to be able to come and gather this information and take it home with them and share it with their communities. So we have purposefully reached out to different communities of color. Um, we've reached out to a Hispanic community center in Madison, and we've offered them scholarships to send a representative or two to the conference. We've reached out to um, women, black women in Milwaukee, Chicago, and asked them to send a representative um, to the conference over the years and offered scholarships. And then we also put a call for people to fill out applications for scholarships. We want to be able to offer women, even women who wouldn't go and fill out a scholarship application, because not everyone will, to be able to come to the conference. And so one of the things we've also done is try to represent a lot of different women in our um, instructor panel, <laughs> the women who are teaching at the conference. So this year, we purposely have two women of color who are teaching, Mimi Hernandez, who is from the American Herbalist Guild, and um, then Venus Williams, who runs Alice's Garden. She's from Milwaukee. She's a community organizer in the inner city Milwaukee. She's African-American woman, really amazing, inspiring woman, who's going to talk about community. They're both going to talk about community and community building because they're both doing it in their own unique ways as herbalists but they're more than herbalists because they're bringing people together and that's what we want to do too we want to bring people together we want the information to be seated so the women not necessarily do um women from the inner city all have to come out to the inner to the middle of wisconsin <laughs> into the woods but a few women can come and then they can take the information back to their community and share and that's our hope is that we're seeding as many people communities as we can and sharing the information and utilizing our resources you know, I've uh, studied with a woman named Mickey Cashton who talks about leveraging your influence. I am a white woman. I have some influence and I'm going to try to utilize as best of my ability to utilize my resources to contribute. And that's, you know, leveraging my influence. I'm going to use my influence. And that's what we're doing in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And speaking of bringing tons of women together you have record registrants already this year there I understand there's only like 50 or 60 spots available for the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference yes. but that there's still quite a few left for the mycelium mysteries gathering can you talk about the pre-conference workshops and how even if you're not able to register for the main conference, you can still be involved. Well, let me just make this clear because people get confused about all the offerings. If you go onto our website and fill out the registration form, sometimes it seems a little overwhelming because there's so many offerings. So to be clear, the Midwest Women's Herbal is an organization 
Midwest Women's Herbal started out hosting the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. We've been in existence this year for eight years. Over those years, we've hosted lots of different events. We've hosted a um, conference um, with Rosemary Gladstar in the fall, like four years ago. Um, we're going into hosting another fall event that we started three years ago called Mycelium Mysteries. And that is a um, conference that is focused on working with mushrooms. And mycelium is the um, uh, basically the root system of mushrooms. <laughs> it's their networking system. And Mycelium Mysteries is a mushroom retreat that's focused on helping women learn to identify mushrooms, to eat them, to utilize them as medicine, to learn to interact with them, interface with them, and have a relationship with them um, as, as their own entities. Because in the fall, here in Wisconsin, the woods are full of mushrooms <laughs> and it's really an exciting time of year for a mushroom forager and not only that but mushrooms are starting to show a lot of promise for um, healing the problems that we have with bees like the fungal problems with bees there's packaging being developed um, biodegradable packaging that's made out of mushrooms I mean the more I learn about mushrooms the more it blows my mind they're amazing beings on the planet so we have two separate events as part of as my point here <laughs> and so we have one in the spring which is the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference and you were talking about pre-conference workshops so we have the main conference and then we offer pre-conference workshops on Friday morning they're three hours long and women can come to just those if, even if they if they want a taste of the conference or if the conference fills because we're looking at it's now February 14th Happy Valentine's Day, everyone, <laughs> and Thistle. Um, and um, we have only 50 or 60 spots open for the June conference. Hey, Thistle. How's it going? Oh, hey, Jenna. I'm good. You... On the other hand, sister, you sound like you're sick. Yeah, I can't seem to shake this cold. I've been drinking a ton of fluids, but it just doesn't seem to be helping. I'm on my fifth cup of tea today. What tea? Like Lipton? That's not going to do anything for you. No wonder you're still feeling sick. Here, have some of this freshly brewed herbal tea blend I learned about at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference last year. That'll put you on the mend. Mmm, that tastes good. I think this might help me sleep. I've been up the past three nights with this cold. You might not be sleeping well because of all the caffeine in that tea you're drinking. Glad you like the herbal tea. There's some chamomile flower in this blend, an herb that helps us to relax and rest. Hey, maybe you should go to the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference taking place in Almond, Wisconsin the first weekend in June. Going to the conference last year really helped open my mind to the healing powers of natural herbs. <coughs> Natural herbs, huh? Huh. I don't know. This cough syrup I got over the counter at the pharmacy seems to be helping. Oh, excuse me. Here, let me read the label on that syrup. <coughs> Jenna, there are so many ingredients in here that I can't even pronounce. And the syrup is bright smurf blue. What the heck is in this commercial stuff? I really think you need to go to the conference. And did you know that Midwest Women's Herbal hosts two events a year? 
one in the spring focused on herbal wisdom and the plants that grow around us, and then one in the fall with a focus on connecting with fungi and women's mysteries. This year's focus is on nourishing ourselves and our communities, and the communities include women as well as the plants, mushrooms, trees, and the earth. But I'm not an herbalist or a mushroom expert. Will I fit in? You don't have to be an herbalist or mushroom expert to attend. There is something for everyone at these two gatherings. Cool. So there's a gathering the first weekend in June focused on herbs and herbalism, and then another one in the fall focused on mushrooms? Yeah, the one in June is almost sold out. But if you get your ticket for Mycelium Mysteries, the women's fall retreat before April 1st, you're eligible for early bird pricing, and there are still plenty of tickets available. Mycelium Mysteries, a women's mushroom retreat, is also in Almond, Wisconsin, and will be happening September 27th through the 29th. Thanks for the info, Thistle. I feel better already just knowing these two women's gatherings are taking place. How do I get tickets? Just go to MidwestWomensHerbal.com and click on the register button and follow the instructions. I'm so glad you're considering it. Next up... Hear an interview Robin did with Dr. Cornelia Cho about her presentation at the Spring Herbal Conference. Tonight, I'm speaking with Dr. Cornelia Cho. Dr. Cho is a practicing pediatrician and a Mushroom Club president, speaking to mushroom clubs and conferences across the country. She heads her local co-counseling community and is always exploring studying mind-body-brain science, drug-free trauma healing methods, and reclaiming traditional ways of eating, such as decolonizing food, as a road to healing. Her Korean heritage gave her a head start on alternative modalities, beginning with a probiotic-rich diet and foraging wild foods. Dr. Cho, welcome to Women's Liberation Radio News. Thank you, Robin. I'm really excited to be on the show here today. Oh, it's a delight. So how long have you been doing work with the women's herbal community? This particular conference... Mm -hmm. The way that I got introduced to it is that they had so much interest in mushrooms, they decided to start a smaller conference called Mycelium Mysteries. It's a women-only mushroom exploration conference. And in organizing that, I was one of the names that came up as far as someone to be invited to be a speaker. So I was introduced to, the, to Linda and the larger community at Midwest Women's Herbal to starting with that conference and I really enjoyed my experience presenting there and meeting all the other women there and then Linda said we want to have you at our larger summer conference so that's how I started getting involved with this particular group. Oh fun and you're going to be presenting on a couple of different topics correct? That's correct so when I first talked to them about the Mycelium Mysteries Conference, I said that I had some expertise and experience with using mushrooms medicinally in my practice, and also some knowledge gathered from people in my mushroom club as well, and also through friends that I've made all over the country and the world um, by going to other mushroom conferences. And so they said, well, is there anything else you could present on and I mentioned that I do this peer counseling method, and they said, if you could make that in any way related to mushrooms, we would love to have you speak on that. And so I said, okay. 
there's interconnectedness, there's mutual mm-hmm. exchange, you know, there's some other things that are sort of the same descriptions as what happens in mushroom communities. And they said, yes, we want that. So. Um, oh, that's brilliant. I mean, mycelium is all about communication in a lot of ways, isn't it? It really is. Uh, there, It's the things that they have discovered that, so mycelium is, of course, the sort of root network of mushrooms. It's really the main body of the mushroom, actually. The the things that we call mushrooms, the fruiting bodies that we can see and the ones that we eat, like portobello mushrooms or truffles or chanterelles, those are actually just like, we tend to use this analogy, but the apple on the tree, not really the tree itself. The mycelium makes up the tree, so it's the main body of the mushroom. Um, but yes, that is totally about communication. That was a easy segue into talking about other ways of communicating. And uh, in starting to talk about using mushrooms for healing, how, how do you use those in your practice right now? I know you're working with children. So one of the great things about talking about mushrooms is there's something that people eat anyways already. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the mushrooms that are that have healing properties are mushrooms that we've been eating for thousands and thousands of years. Shiitake mushrooms have a long record of being eaten, eaten for a very long time. Um, oyster mushrooms and lion's mane mushrooms. And then also reishi mushrooms have been consumed as a tea. And so there's a lot of history in different cultures throughout the world of people consuming these mushrooms. Another one is actually the desert truffle that's also been consumed for a really long time and is used medicinally. So there's there's a precedent for using something that's already edible to help the body get back in balance. And so one of the ways that I introduce that is that oyster mushrooms are good for a number of things in our body. Um, I actually most recently have talked to another physician who used it to help his son's eczema. And he said he just chops them up and puts them in his scrambled eggs and he eats them and he's taking care of something that way. So um, mushrooms also seem to help the immune system in our bodies. Uh, They have been around on the planet a lot longer than we have. And what a lot of people don't know is that mushrooms and mammals and human beings have a common ancestor back on the tree of life. So there are a lot of things that mushrooms have figured out to protect themselves that also help human beings as well, that our systems are aligned in a certain way. Um, The whole idea of food as medicine has been completely abandoned by uh, modern Western allopathic medicinal practice. Do you feel like modern medicine is really lacking because of that? Or, I mean, how can we get back to more of a a natural way of seeing medicine at this point? Right. Right. Now, that is a huge problem. There are, there are, I will say just that there are a few places where, as far as Western medicine is concerned, that they're actually recognizing how important food is in healing. So there are some, some, Spots of rationality. I think <laughs> Tulane actually has that on their curriculum. Um, I don't think it's mandatory, but that you can do culinary medicine. So there's a there's a way that it's been um, made into kind of a 
commercialized in, in a certain way endeavor. But as far as respecting kind of the traditional old ways that people have eaten that have sustained people for millennia, that definitely has been a huge problem. Um, it's been interesting to, to look at and learn a lot more about our kind of industrialized food that we have in this country that's then kind of infected the whole world, basically. Um, that's definitely impacting people's health in a huge way. So I, I won't say that allopathic medicine is completely dismissing it, but it's certainly not the first thing that is in our training through medical school. It's certainly not on the agenda for a lot of people. It's certainly not, you know, the first question your doctor may ask you is sort of what is your diet actually like? So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of work that needs to be done in bringing us back to ways that can help us heal. Uh, one of the things that is you talk about in your introduction is about foraging for food and, and right. eating wild foods. But we're sort yes. of we're in a town a time right now when our, our natural world is under attack. And I, I've heard a lot about mushrooms being used for bioremediation and for healing the world. Can you talk for a little bit about that? Yes. I mean, there's, of course, so much more to say about what you just said. Yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> we are. Uh, we're not. We as a species, you know, Homo sapiens is not doing a very good job of stewarding this planet at all <laughs> right now. Um, it's one of the things that's actually attracted me to the conference is there are certainly more people interested in doing a better job there. Um, and I think actually it is informed by the fact that it is just women there's you know not necessarily pointing fingers right at the moment but there are patterns going on in this in this world that are based on exploitation and greed and entitlement and uh, as long as those things are running as sort of turbocharged as they have been it has made it difficult to make things see, operate in a more rational way so um, you know, and, and so we were talking about foraging. You, you mentioned a couple different things in what you just said. You mentioned, you know, that I had talked about foraging, um, where, you know, you're actually eating something that has often been picked a couple hours ago or that day and has the kind of nutrients you need that are available right around you. Um, and, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to be said about what's available through wild plants, and um, it's and it's also something I always like to say about both mushrooming and foraging is that these are not good hobbies for people who are not detail oriented. <laughs> definitely something you want to be with someone that is a good attention to detail person, or you want to be that person yourself. And if you're a person who kind of goes, ah, that's close enough, this is not, neither of these are good hobbies for you. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. In fact, when you go out foraging for mushrooms, you really have to check over every single fruit that you pick. Isn't that correct? Before you use it for anything. Yes, that's a good idea. Um, sometimes a mushroom that is choice and edible can be near a mushroom that's not. So... 
you want to look at every single one you're picking. You don't want to just kind of grab them all up. You want to do the same thing with plants. Mm-hmm. When you're collecting herbs, there can be something growing in there that you don't actually want to be consuming. So, so I wanted to go ahead and address what you asked about because it was there was there was a lot of parts to the question you just asked. You asked about <laughs> foraging and bioremediation or mycoremediation. So myco, of course, means fungus. And then people have used mushrooms to help clean up or restore the environment or figured out that fungi can break down certain things like plastics, like the plastic that we make bowling balls out of. There's actually a fungus that can break that down. Um, there are fungi that can, they like, fungi like breaking down really complex molecules. So they have actually figured out fungi that will break down plastics. They figured out ones that will extract gold and heavy metals. They've actually, they're actually using it in Finland to extract heavy metals and gold back out of cell phones that are ground up. Um, and so there's ways that mushrooms can help us in the environment, breaking down diesel fuel, um, cleaning water, not just from heavy metals, but also from pathogens. Mm-hmm. There's, that's a that's like a whole nother interview, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and on. That's a whole nother talk that I've given in the past too. Mushrooms as allies for our environment. So it's a it's a topic I'm really interested in. Um, so there was that part of your question. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just fascinated how mushrooms can heal not just our bodies, um, but the the entire environment. And I know that. There are a lot of mushroom enthusiasts who think that that you you know mushrooms could save the world at this point. So it, it's just fascinating to hear about. That's that's a uh, that's Paul Stamets's subtitle for the book called Mycelium Running. Yes. It's six ways that mushrooms can save the world. So um, he's got a number of TED talks, and it definitely is a if you're if you don't know that much about mushrooms, that is a fascinating book to read. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. Now, you also are interested in body, mind, brain science and and healing trauma. Do you use mushrooms in any way with with that process of of healing the mind or? So that's another really new hot topic, because a lot of the research that's being done is being done with the so-called magic mushroom or psilocybin mushroom. It's actually being done with a synthetic psilocybin but so i mean it's always when you're a a mushroom club president this is something that's always kind of aimed at you and you always yeah people know at a party you know so what's one of the things you do and like i'm president of a mushroom club oh really ha 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 so um so so it's been interesting because I've kind of like, no, we're not doing, we're not talking about that kind of mushroom. We're not doing, we're not growing that kind of mushroom. Mm-hmm. But the research in this past period of time, these last few years actually has been amazing in that the people who are interested in having this get more exposure have chosen really like unimpeachable, impeccable researchers at like Johns Hopkins, Stanford. King's College in London, you know, people who are at the top of their field and um, doing really carefully designed, well-designed studies. And and here, what I'm talking about is that 
psilocybin mushrooms can help people end their addiction to cigarettes, to alcohol, to cocaine, to opioids. It can end intractable depression. And these people are getting one or two treatments. That's it. And so it's amazing to have something that has that capacity, like you treat somebody one or two times, and the thing that they have struggled with for years is gone. Yes. And we're not talking about recreational use of of mushrooms as a party drug. We're talking about very, very carefully done studies with professionals who know what they're doing. Correct. And there's a big difference. So it's always good to make that distinction. Uh, Part of the thing that makes what that has made these studies effective is to be really careful about what they call the set and the setting. So the environment that it's done in and also who it's done with and who else is in the environment that you want to be really thoughtful, really careful and have people who have experience. Mm -hmm. It's been fascinating reading all these studies. I, there's an excellent article in the New Yorker called the trip treatment that Michael Pollan wrote in, I believe 2015. And then he's more recently written a book called how to change your mind where, you know, he, we know Michael Pollan from the omnivores dilemma and Mm -hmm. the botany desire and other books that he's written, but this is the area he's exploring now. And so he's actually taken some of these substances and then talks about it. But he also talks about the background and the research and how originally, actually in the United States, there was a lot of research going on about what this mushroom might be able to do for people. And then Mm -hmm. it was shut down by the Nixon administration, et cetera. And so um, and now it's being brought back by. Silicon Valley investors and other people interested in helping, basically giving people access to something that could help them. So when we talk about any kind of a STEM field, most of the researchers that we hear the most about are male. Who are some of the women who are doing interesting work with in, in the field of not just, you know, mycology, but but also with natural healing? Who are the people that you're reading right now? So if I... What I like about some of this, well, this question that you're asking me right now about science, technology, you know, engineering and medicine, like some people call it science, technology, engineering, architecture or art. And and uh, actually, what is that M on some of those things? No, I'm <laughs> science. <laughs> STEM. We've not, gone not from STEM to STEAM. Yes. Yeah, so not everybody knows what STEM or STEAM is. So sure. Yeah. Um, so in any of these any of these fields, often women don't get the kind of attention or the spotlight that men do. But it's been interesting in the in the mycology world to meet people who are doing research in these, these fields. And um, there's actually something I'll probably talk about later when I'm talking a little bit more about the peer listening thing, but Yes. But, but, um, let's see. So one of the people is really great to hear, not necessarily somebody who does uh, work with mushrooms, 
but and I, and I want to make sure Tierra Rona Low Dog, so probably want to practice saying her name a couple different ways actually, but um, she was actually a presenter at the last Midwest Women's Herbal Summer Conference. And so she's an MD who's taken her native heritage and been able to combine the two things and have a successful practice. And I remember when I first read about her years ago, I was going, oh, my God, how is she doing this? You know, because mm-hmm. the environment was not the same back then as it is now. And so it was very, it was so great to get to meet her, to listen to her, to be around her um, during the conference. I, uh, one of the other people that comes to mind, this is also not necessarily mushroom related, but Candace Pert is a researcher who wrote a book called The Molecules of Emotion because she was actually the one that figured out about neurotransmitters being these small molecules that made us behave in certain ways that cross the placenta that, you know, if injected into the bloodstream can change everything. And that's a, that's actually a fascinating book to read about. I think I'm a, I'm definitely somebody who likes underdog stories, but also I like vindication. So in reading stories about uh, women who've had to overcome the sexism and everything else they have to overcome to get to where they're, they are now. Um, those are always stories that I enjoy reading. Um, there's another physician actually who's written a book called a mind of your own. She's a physician and she's also a naturopath and, um, basically asking people to examine a lot of things about their life rather than taking Prozac or, you know, Ambien, like, you know, get these tests done, check and make sure you're not vitamin D deficient, vitamin B deficient, you know, check your stress level, check all kinds of common sense sort of things, actually. But then she also talks about your, you know, paying attention to your spiritual life and other things like that as well. So it's fascinating to find people who are kind of breaking out of the mold and helping people get access to different sorts of healing. One of my friends that I've met through the mushroom world, Eleanor Shavit, actually, she's written, she has an article that uh, is in a resource called Fungi Magazine. She talks about feeding her daughter maitake mushrooms when she was younger because her immune system just was not fighting, she was getting sinus infection, bronchitis, mm-hmm. you know, one thing after another. They happened to be friends with Andrew Weil, and he said, feed her maitake mushrooms. And, you know, she did it, and it, she stopped getting sick. So. <laughs> That's amazing. I have, a, I have a lot of people kind of that I know or that I'm connected to, and uh, didn't necessarily pop up with just one particular name that has both mushrooms and healing in it, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. So my connection with with mushrooms is that I love to cook. And of of all the mushrooms out there, I think my favorite are are black trumpets. I just love, love them. Do you have a favorite mushroom, something that really gets you fascinated and excited about fungi? 
I think it might have been Gary Linkoff who said, my favorite mushroom is the one in front of me. But <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite culinary mushroom is the one that's in front of me <laughs> and the one that I've just found. But uh-huh. I do. I do have a soft spot for morels because uh-huh. they're not easy to find. They're only available for a short period of time. Uh-huh. They fry really well and they taste amazing. Yeah, the native name for them was apparently landfish because they they have a very umami rich savory flavor, even though they're not a meat, but they mm-hmm. taste like meaty. So I do love morels. I also had the opportunity in Korea, they have a five-day festival celebrating the Songi mushroom, which is the same as the Matsutake mushroom, just the Korean name, it's Songi. And uh, that is also a lovely, lovely mushroom. So the one in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's your favorite. <laughs> Well, to change gears a little bit, you're also going to be doing a workshop on peer listening. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, it's actually, so it's based in an organization called Reevaluation Co-Counseling. Mm-hmm. And this is something I've been doing since 1991. And the kind of the premise is that people have different things that happen to them and things that happen to the people they grow up around and things that happen to them from the greater society that accumulate as hurts. And that if we have a chance to get sympathetic, you know, peer listening with another person, we can actually heal a lot of those hurts. And I had tried a lot of different things before I found this. And then when I found it, I said, wow, I am changing faster than I have with anything else I've done so far. And I'm developing all these connections with people all over the country and actually all over the world. So it's a process I've been doing since 1991, and I am still doing it, still going strong and really, really happy with um, what I've been able to achieve and how I've been able to help other people too. Are there any materials out there that people can read about this to learn more about it or? There, there are, there is actually a website and we are currently in about 60 countries around the world at least. Um, So the thing about it is, is it's something that's better learned one-on-one or in person because you are exchanging time with another person and, You know, you could read about it online, but it's not the same (laughs) as actually getting to have a session with a person. Now, I will say what's been great with, you know, Skype and Zoom and all these kinds of technologies is that um, you can have sessions with people even if they are in another country. And it's, you know, more satisfying to be able to look at their face and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. interact. But it's been a very rewarding process. Um, I, so part of what I like to talk about is that we get messages or recordings from, you know, our upbringing and the people that care about us when we're growing up. And many of those are good recordings, like look both ways before you cross the street. You know, many of those are kind of 
recordings that help us fit into society better. You know, don't chew your food with your mouth open. But some of them are not necessarily helpful. They're about us conforming or fitting in or being small or being quiet, especially, you know, especially the ones aimed at women. And so what's been great about being able to do this process is I can, like, undo a lot of those messages or recordings so they aren't, and I always think of, like, a marionette or a puppet, they aren't in control of me. They aren't driving my behavior. And uh, specifically since I was going to a women's conference, knowing how much I've been able to undo the messages that come in with sexism, um, I thought that was a useful message to put out to people at Mycelium Mysteries and then at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. Yeah. Our our um, our culture in the United States is so completely focused on being an extrovert and speaking that it, it's important to learn any technique for for listening. I think it's such a healing thing. Yes, yes, it is. It is, in, and it's interesting that you say that because I actually used to be petrified at the idea of public speaking, and <laughs> it's mainly through doing this co-counseling process that I've been able to overcome all that and mm-hmm. actually really enjoy it. So I was able to get rid of a lot of the messages that told me it would not be okay for me to speak up or to say my mind, any of those things. And then also get to practice with people. And it's been just incredibly huge to break through that and get to where I am now and to actually like be talking to you, for instance, on a podcast as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the more we can do to cultivate women's voices, especially right now, um, the, the better. I, I think that our greatest chance for healing this world is is by empowering women to stand up and speak their truth. So, yeah. I agree with that, yes. So... Tell me uh, once again when the herbal conference is happening and when your workshops are going to be. So I don't think they've finalized the workshop schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now the conference is the end of May. So make sure. While you're looking, I can let people know that the website, if, if you like more information on the conference, is uh, MidwestWomensHerbal.com. You'll find a lot more information there. Here, this will be the eighth annual conference. It's May 31st, June 1st and 2nd in Almond, Wisconsin. And then, um, again, they actually decided to keep doing the Mycelium Mysteries Conference. So that is just mushrooms and women. (laughs) (laughs) People always chuckle when when I say that. (laughs) That's going to be September 27th, 28th, and 29th, uh, 2019, again in Almond, Wisconsin. We're an unsuccessful species, yeah, we're gonna die. And now there's not much time left, not for you, not for I. Wish I'd woven a basket while I was still here. I wish I'd listened closer to the waters running clear. But no, I drove my car straight into the sea. Not for you, not for me. Hey yo, hey yo, hey yo. Ah, ah, ah. 
I woke up every morning to planes flying overhead. Thought I was dreaming, but no, it was real. Burning up the skies while I just lie there in bed. And now there's not much time left, gotta take a stand instead. You know, peace is more than the absence of war. As She's just running off a cliff Launching life of madness on a collective sinking ship The sea keeps getting closer, yeah, our poor die on the deck And now there's not much time left, but there's enough time yet To be more That was Thistle singing her song called We Are More. Finally today, we are happy to present an interview Thistle did with Catherine McLean, who will be a keynote speaker at the Mycelium Mysteries Fall Women's Retreat. Remember, you can get an early bird price for tickets if you register by April 1st for this mushroom retreat. Thank you for joining us, Catherine McLean. Welcome to WLRN. Thank you for having me. Great. So we are going to be talking a little bit today about the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference. And I understand this is going to be your first time to the conference. How did you learn about it? And what role will you be playing at the conference this year? Well, I learned about it when I was uh, invited to give a keynote and two workshops. And so in a way, this gift kind of just landed in my lap out of nowhere And it came at a really powerful time for me because I was on maternity leave with my second child. And this time around that postpartum period was incredibly challenging physically and mentally. And I had also, I was coming out of a very intense year working within the psychedelic community in New York City where um, women had been... um, psychologically, emotionally, and sometimes even sexually abused by some of the older men in the community and had finally spoken out to remove them from their positions of power. And so the whole year had been a lot of intensity and kind of calling forth this need for women's voices to be heard, and especially within the psychedelic community. And yet also for me feeling kind of sidelined through my postpartum period and not able to engage the way I wanted to. And so when this invitation came, I was like, oh, the universe is paying attention. Like I needed something to look forward to that was the opposite of everything I had been struggling with. So, um, yeah, it's all very new for me, but I just knew as soon as that invitation came through that I would be going and it was just such a, um, such a lovely opportunity. Have you ever been in a women-only space before a gathering of, of, you know, 20, 30, 100, 200, 300 people who are exclusively women and intentionally so? 
No. And I say no with a question mark because I'm thinking, well, most of my childhood, I grew up in a home where it was my mom and two daughters. And at the same time, you know, on that large scale, no, even the women's retreat that I helped lead in Jamaica, which was with intentional psilocybin mushrooms, there were still men present and it caused actually a lot of problems. And it was something that I learned the hard way that when you create a space that's for women only, that even a couple men who are there and who understand the structure and the framework and why the women are there, it still isn't quite pure enough <laughs> a space. And uh, yeah, I can share more about that, but I'm looking forward to, to doing this. Yeah, Linda Conroy and the organizing team do a great job of creating a bubble, like a place that has boundaries and is protected so that women can experience what it feels like to be outside of patriarchy mm -hmm. and men's culture and to find ourselves and to create our own culture. And um, so I, I always get excited when women who have never been in a space like that are experiencing it for the first time because it is qualitatively different than um, space that includes men, even men, like you were saying, who are good men and understanding. Um, we live in this patriarchal culture and uh, there is a, a power differential based just on how we were born as either male or female. And, um, you know, there's nothing like getting a group of people together um, who are a part of an oppressed class and able to just commune with one another without the presence of the oppressor wow. class. So it's so powerful. I'm, you know, part of me, I'm realizing it will be an interesting dynamic. The part of me that has become so acclimated to patriarchy being in that space, like, is that part of me going to resent being there? You know, <laughs> it's, it's something that I, you know, you, I've learned to kind of adapt to these toxic environments for so long in academia and in medical institutions in even the work that I intentionally co-created in New York city with male colleagues that ended up kind of perpetuating the same challenges. And so it'll, I hope that the part of me that feels more comfortable in those acclimated environments can also relax and like take a vacation, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the conference really is like a vacation, but it's one that massages your brain, too, because there's so many interesting talks and workshops, and there's just so much to see and to do. Can you talk a little bit more about your work and your background and what got you interested in psilocybin mushrooms and working with women? Sure. Um you know, my experiences with consciousness, I think, really opened up when I went to college. I went to Dartmouth College in New Hampshire, which is a pretty male-oriented, male-dominated culture. Uh, they only started admitting women, I think, in the mid-70s, and it was really toxic for the first uh, several cohorts of women who, who stepped up. Um, 
while I was there, I think the issues that have become apparent to me now were not so clear, but my personal relationship with mind, with consciousness, with these heart opening chemicals was very strong. And I think I convinced myself that I needed to engage with them through a kind of academic neuroscience psychology framework, and that that would give legitimacy or credibility to my personal interests. Like, oh, I'm not just into psychedelics, I'm studying them. You know, I'm a neuroscientist, I have a PhD. And so I think that that motivation to maintain credibility in a space that is radically taboo um, propelled me through a lot of really intense learning environments that then kind of came to a screeching halt in 2013. So I got my PhD in psychology. I studied meditation first. I got a postdoc position at Johns Hopkins on one of the only legal clinical sites in the world studying psilocybin, which is the chemical in mushrooms, in magic mushrooms. Uh, I even got onto faculty at Hopkins. And then my sister at only 29 years old suddenly found out that her breast cancer had come back in her lungs and she died very rapidly. And that whole experience was, it was like, I was just kind of pushed off the cliff of this kind of secure, safe life I had created for myself. And I realized in that moment, so many things I realized there's no way I can keep living the way I'm living and be honest with myself. Um, I don't know if I'm ever going to resolve the grief I'm feeling, but I need to dedicate my life to understanding the loss of my sister and just how powerful the institutions were that had both hired me to do my work for them at Hopkins and had also sacrificed her life in this kind of very, I felt uh, cold and kind of uncaring way as she was suffering in the last weeks of her life. And so it was like all of this stuff kind of came to in this like high contrast clarity because of this personal experience. And I would say the last, you know, now it's been six, seven years since her illness has been a lot of just integrating what I learned and still feeling at a loss that there isn't really, I haven't found the structures I need to heal from the grief to understand what her life was and what her death was. And I certainly haven't figured out what to do professionally in a world that honestly doesn't seem to really care what happened to me, what happened to her. And it could be that I've been looking in the wrong places. You know, it's like that funny, uh, you know, you look everywhere and it's like the last place you look is where you find the thing you're looking for. And so I guess I just haven't arrived at the last place. (laughs) But um, my personal experience with mushrooms as healing medicine was critical in part of that grief process. And both of my children came through what I say is the mushroom portal, meaning in the middle of a mushroom ceremony. And I don't really do it that frequently at all. It's a pretty rare occasion for me. But in the middle of this ceremony, it was very clear. And even one time the mushroom said, like, this is who you are. You're a mother. And I'm like, no, I'm all these other things. They're like, no, you're a mother. (laughs) 
And it was this shock. And I was like, oh, I guess this is my life's work now, which I never would have thought at Hopkins that that's where my passion about psychedelics and understanding the mind would lead is just to being a mom. It's like such a normal, ordinary, like almost totally ignored uh, role in society, right? It's like everyone has a mom, but we don't usually think about that as like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so for me, it's been a process of finding that place in the psychedelic community where I can speak from the perspective of being a woman, of being a mom. Um, I can help other women feel safe talking about their experiences, having safe experiences. And unfortunately, it's involved a lot of unpleasant confrontation with men in power. Um, and I can't say that that has increased my chances of what I you know, would call like a credible professional career. I think it's probably ruined a lot of chances for me by speaking out. Um, and so it's, you know, I, right now I kind of feel like I'm stretched between two very different worlds, the divine mother feminine space and the kind of patriarchal traditional power space. And every time I kind of move one direction or another, I realize that this is my space right now in between both. And it's, not that pleasant, but you know, here I am. Mm -hmm. And isn't it horrible that women with a PhD in the male dominated world, uh, d they have to fight harder to be recognized. And then once you are recognized, you're still fighting against male power structures and so do we really, as women, want to achieve these uh, traditional roles and degrees in male-dominated society and, and have PhDs and maybe become priests or become corporate executive officers and all of these prestigious positions that are out there in the world? Or do we want to create a new culture? A, a, a culture that honors women and mothers and doesn't look at motherhood as, you know, some kind of drudgery or something that's just common and ordinary and not that important, you know? Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting question. So I'm, you know, reflecting on my own, um, you know, if someone offered me my job at Hopkins back and said, you can lead the whole lab and hire women and even replace all the people in charge who control the the funding and the access to resources, would I want that lifestyle for me and my family? And I wouldn't. And would I want to hire women into that lifestyle? I wouldn't. I, I think it's it's toxic and it's it's like a machine, you know, the way that the medical institution is, is designed to learn more at the expense of human life. And I don't say that lightly. Um, it's, it's like every human being that's part of that institution is just used until it's dead or until it's used up. Most people don't even retire. They just work their asses off until they die. And then it keeps going. So it's like the institution itself, this kind of scientific, materialist, medical system uses, it fuels itself on human productivity and ingenuity and doesn't actually, in my experience, nourish 
humanity. It doesn't nourish being a human being. And so I haven't been to medical school, but I hear it's even worse, you know, than research world. Um, one thing I can say is that when my sister was in the hospital, when the palliative care team finally was allowed in the room in the last 24 hours, she was alive. When the, when the male oncologist left, you know, his, his post, like he had quote failed in his view, she wasn't going to survive. And he, it was no longer his problem. The woman who arrived, this Indian woman was amazing. And I was like, where have you been this whole time? Like you're the priestess who should have been attending to my sister and our family for the last six weeks. And she was just cut from a totally different cloth. And I thought maybe I could be that I could be a woman like that who arrives at, you know, death's doorstep and is playing this sacred role, even in such a terrible location in a terrible institution. And still, I just wonder for that woman, what her life is like. I mean, but she's constantly fighting to have access to patients who are dying and fighting for representation against mostly men who are in positions of authority over their patients. And so um, I'm happy that she's doing the job she's doing, but you know, if I wanna help people die, I don't wanna go back to med school to do it. I'd love to create a new career that blends the experience I have and the mushroom wisdom into some kind of sacred role where I think right now people don't know that they want someone like that in the room when they're really sick or when they're giving birth or when they're dying, but they do. And, you know, when that person shows up, it's a huge godsend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think that you're in good company with feminists because feminist women for years have been working on creating alternative institutions that are woman-centered, woman-powered, and have a, an entirely different set of goals and culture than male institutions that often work against themselves. I mean, as you were speaking, I'm thinking the medical establishment, they're supposed to be caring about people's health. <laughs> but in the end, they don't really. No. And so, you know, it seems that there are all these patriarchal reversals in in the larger male-dominated world. It's like, it's very Orwellian. War is peace. You know, death and illness is health. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny. There was this... Uh... I won't even say his name because I don't want to give him any credibility because he has been denounced as really as racist and homophobic and misogynist, like terrible. But he's a one of the most famous scientists in the world, modern history. And when he came to Hopkins, he said, I wonder how quickly we'd cure cancer if our careers didn't depend on us understanding and studying cancer. And it just it stuck out to me that it's like, we've forgotten that what we're trying to do is save humanity and like save the planet that we're living in. And instead we're just studying it to death and we're analyzing it to death and interpreting it to death. And, you know, in my sister's case, she was treated until she died with treatments that probably hastened her death. And yet she wasn't allowed access to restorative palliative care measures that are seen as hastening death because they're, you know, really high levels of morphine that reduce pain or reduce respiratory capacity. 
But in fact, it's like the when you're out of pain is when your body can actually start relaxing and healing itself, even while it's dying. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to harp too much on Hopkins. I think it's just one example of a much bigger system, but potentially the more disappointing thing when you talk about like, how do we create a new culture is that in the work I did in New York, I allied myself with men who I thought I could create that new culture with. And it was this betrayal and shock for me, maybe naive, that they were just much more interested in perpetuating the same system, probably without being aware of it. It's like, it's very hard to want to change a system that you're benefiting from so directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened a, a few different times in my work in New York until, you know, my last conversation where they said, you know, actually, it's not going to work for you to come back. You took too long with maternity leave even though I took the amount of time we had all agreed upon, I was like, okay, clearly this messenger here, the universe is trying to communicate something to me about how this is not the path forward, Catherine, like find a different path, find different allies. We can't do the thing you're hoping to do. Like it's just not in us to do it right now. And so I was, you know, pissed, but also recognizing like this message is coming from somewhere much more beyond the person who's, who's giving it to me. Yeah. What are some things that you're looking forward to at the conference? I'm really looking forward to trying out, um, this kind of new idea that I've been, I've been playing with and I don't know how many people take it so seriously, which is that it's possible in an intentional space in a sacred space, I use that word with intention as well, um, to create psychedelic experiences without ingesting any psychedelics. And so I proposed this idea to the organizers as one of my workshops. And I said, I think I need more than two hours. Can I have like a little bit more time? They said, how about like do an intensive? So I have a three hour intensive and they're like, well, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm basically going to try to open the mushroom space for people without mushrooms. And they're like, awesome. (laughs) And that's totally new for me, but I, I don't think I would try that anywhere else. It just feels like this is the kind of space and the kind of attendees who could get into that space fairly easily and not think it's silly or just fantasy or just guided meditation that this mushroom sacred space that I've been working within is available to us and we can get into it, but it's like, we need to be really serious about it and kind of already have that like radical notion that we can do something that seems impossible. And so I'm super excited for that. It's like totally new, but I wouldn't try it anywhere else. Um, and I know you mentioned that they have great childcare, but I'm kind of interested in, in, not bringing my baby with me and being able to just be myself for a few days, which is such a luxury. It feels when I have two little kids. And so that's really enlivening for me to feel like I could just be me in that space, not these various roles. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to say to our largely lesbian and radical feminist listeners? Well, I might be new to this level of rage, but I guess what I would say is 
from the psychedelic perspective, these medicines have been operating underground, in the background, in the dark, in these mysterious places for so long. And we shouldn't be surprised that yet again, our culture isn't quite getting it right. And that the spokespeople for this radical new life-saving medicine, sacred engagement are still the same men, the same power structures. So I'm saying it to myself, and I'm also saying it to kind of everyone who out there who's interested in psychedelics, who's interested in mushrooms, but feels like the story that's being told already in the public eye is so not their story, that it's okay, because these mushrooms and these medicines have never told their story through that kind of, it's like, that's what's just happening at the level of people paying attention, but all of the real power is in this underneath mysterious dark place that can't be touched by this crazy system that doesn't seem to care about women. Right on. Thank you so much, Catherine McLean. Hey, Thistle. How's it going? Oh, hey, Jenna. I'm good. You, on the other hand, sister, you sound like you're sick. Yeah, I can't seem to shake this cold. I've been drinking a ton of fluids, but it just doesn't seem to be helping. I'm on my fifth cup of tea today. What tea? Like, Lipton? That's not gonna do anything for you. No wonder you're still feeling sick. Here, have some of this freshly brewed herbal tea blend I learned about at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference last year. That'll put you on the mend. Mmm, that tastes good. You think this might help me sleep? I've been up the past three nights with this cold. You might not be sleeping well because of all the caffeine in that tea you're drinking. Glad you like the herbal tea. There's some chamomile flower in this blend, an herb that helps us to relax and rest. Hey, maybe you should go to the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference taking place in Almond, Wisconsin the first weekend in June. Going to the conference last year really helped open my mind to the healing powers of natural herbs. <coughs> natural herbs, huh? Huh. I don't know. This cough syrup I got over the counter at the pharmacy <laughs> seems to be helping. Oh, excuse me. Here, let me read the label on that syrup. <coughs> Jenna, there are so many ingredients in here that I can't even pronounce. And the syrup is bright smurf blue. What the heck is in this commercial stuff? I really think you need to go to the conference. And did you know that Midwest Women's Herbal hosts two events a year? One in the spring focused on herbal wisdom and the plants that grow around us, and then one in the fall with a focus on connecting with fungi and women's mysteries. This year's focus is on nourishing ourselves and our communities, and the communities include women as well as the plants, mushrooms, trees, and the earth. But I'm not an herbalist or a mushroom expert. Will I fit in? You don't have to be an herbalist or mushroom expert to attend. There is something for everyone at these two gatherings. Cool. So there's a gathering the first weekend in June focused on herbs and herbalism, and then another one in the fall focused on mushrooms? Yeah, the one in June is almost sold out. But if you get your ticket for Mycelium Mysteries, the women's fall retreat before April 1st, you're eligible for early bird pricing, and there are still plenty of tickets available. Mycelium Mysteries, a women's mushroom retreat, is also in Almond, Wisconsin, and will be happening September 27th through the 29th.
Thanks for the info, Thistle. I feel better already just knowing these two women's gatherings are taking place. How do I get tickets? Just go to MidwestWomensHerbal.com and click on the register button and follow the instructions. I'm so glad you're considering it. You are listening to WLRN. Women all over the world have had a relationship with plants as far back as we can trace. We've used plants for food, medicine, ritual, adornment, trade, color, and spiritual rites. Women learned through experimentation what plants could do for people, when plants were all we had to heal and preserve life. Herbalism is a part of women's history and culture, a part that belongs to all of us, even if we have no personal connection to women with herbalist knowledge. We all have the right to access this knowledge, whether we use it or not. Working with plants connects us to the earth and helps us understand and appreciate life. When we learn to identify and use plants, we can better perceive our place in the ecosystem and know that we live with and amongst all other life forms, not apart from them. Men would have us distrust nature as we now distrust our own bodies and instincts. Contemporary mainstream culture characterizes nature as primitive instead of fundamental. Human beings are supposed to leave the natural world behind to advance into a reality dominated by high-tech machines. After spending millennia living in close relationship with the Earth, we're expected to turn our backs on it and put our faith in the artificial, the mechanical, the lifeless. We're supposed to forget the wisdom of the women who came before us. Whatever isn't endorsed by men with postgraduate degrees supposedly can't be trusted. But so many women around the world know better. They continue to carry on the relationship with plants that their female ancestors passed on to them. Present-day herbalism proves the earth still has value to offer us. Value that can't be found in a pill or machine. Of course, science and modern medicine are useful, even life-saving. But wise women know that what nature has to offer cannot be replaced and continues to be just as vital now as it always was. Allopathic medicine and doctors don't have all the answers. Women continue to suffer physical, mental, and emotional health issues for which there is no allopathic cure. But plant-based medicine can often fill this gap and offer us relief we wouldn't otherwise get. To find this relief, we must be willing to trust female wisdom no matter how much society dismisses it. Women coming together to commune with nature create a powerful energy in their own lives. Plant knowledge has been passed down from one generation of women to the next in every culture for centuries, whether as medicine or magic, and we need that communal tradition now more than ever. When we gather for a purpose like the Women's Herbal Conference, we share knowledge that can't be found or fully understood on the internet or in books, and we affirm each other's wisdom and relationship to the earth. We learn from each other, support each other, and inspire each other to keep seeking solutions in nature. When we gather to study and experience plant life, nature not only provides healing in the plants, but in our interaction with other women. Herbalism nurtures the body, the mind, the spirit, and women's relationships with each other.
That concludes WLRN's 2019 special edition on the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference and Mycelium Mysteries Women's Mushroom Retreat, two events to be held in Amund, Wisconsin. The Spring Herbal Conference is almost sold out, so go online now to register at MidwestWomensHerbal.com. But don't worry if you can't make it for the whole conference. On Friday, May 31st, from 9 a.m. to noon, there will be a morning session of pre-conference workshops featuring Venus Williams, Mimi Hernandez, Susan Weed, Bevan Clare, Jacqueline Weber, and Mary Lou Singleton to get a taste of the conference. I'd like to thank our guests for today's program for granting us interviews. Thank you to Barbara Batondo, Dr. Cornelia Cho, Linda Conroy, and Catherine McLean for joining us. As a reminder, the Mycelium Mysteries Women's Mushroom Retreat is happening September 27th through the 29th in Almond, Wisconsin. And if you get your ticket before April 1st, you're eligible for early bird pricing. I'm Thistle Pedersen. Thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Shiaul. Thanks for tuning in to WLRN's special edition on the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference and Mycelium Mysteries Women's Mushroom Retreat. Get your tickets online at MidwestWomensHerbal.com. Until next time, stay strong. You can catch WLRN in the marketplace at the Midwest Women's Herbal Conference this year, so stop by our table and say hi. As a reminder, you can register and find out all about the conference presenters, events, and happenings at www.midwestwomensherbal.com. Thanks for tuning in to this WLRN special edition focusing on these two fabulous women's gatherings happening in Almond, Wisconsin this fall and spring. This is Jenna DeQuarto. Enjoy the conferences this year, sisters. Dancing green woman